and welcome back to the Radio Gamescast. As always, I'm your host, Ron, and I'm joined today by my lovely cohort of co-hosts, Alex. Hello. Wyatt. He can't hear you. <laughs> You're muted. <And> silenced. <laughs> and Brett. Uh, he he said he can't hear anything <laughs> in the chat, so. Awesome. Wyatt's in the dark zone. We'll let him find him again in some other... <laughs> <laughs> can watch as he struggles <laughs> in his own little face. pocket dimension. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yes. there we go. Okay, Jesus Christ. Hi! <laughs> Look, we probably, always have to have one technical problem. We can never have none. Probably, probably better to get it out of the right way with at the beginning of the episode well, than someone was, a sentence. So one of you was talking, and then literally right in the middle of your sentence, just everything just cut out and stopped working. <laughs> so it was like a mad dash of like resetting things, and like, ugh, that was dumb. Anyway... <laughs> Well, back to the topic at hand. <laughs> Today we're talking about a couple of big games topics that I think are on a lot of people's minds as this year of very good games progresses, and very good games from all types of studios. We've had great indies and great AAA stuff this year, so that put us onto the topic of budgets. Uh, budgets, and particularly, I think in Wyatt's case, Battlebit Remastered. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> it's a very good example. <laughs> Probably the most recent example. Yeah. As well. Yeah, very recent. Let's kick it off with Battlebit, because I think Battlebit's a thing that at least I know three of us on this episode have had the chance to play a good amount of. Um, I don't know, Alex, if you've had the the time oh, yeah. or interest in playing Battlebit a ton. but I played a bit with you guys, and then I played, I don't know, a, a fair amount after that. Yeah, nice. I can check on Steam. I can tell you exactly how long it is. So tell us have... exactly how many hours you have in Battlebit Remastered. <laughs> I have almost oh, 15 I, I hours clocked in. Yeah, the reason we're using Battlebit as, I think, the sounding point for this specific uh, portion of this two-part topic that we have is because Battlebit came out and put a AAA product to near shame uh, with... <laughs> Straight Dyson up shame, Battlefield. not even near. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. I was being generous. <laughs> <laughs> take that all away from you. <laughs> you You're not allowed to be, be nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, Battlefield's been in a rut lately. I think everyone is very aware of of that fact, uh, including it had a, hopefully it had a recent, nice at this point. It had a recent breakup, and it just it hasn't really recovered since. You <laughs> yeah, know, we'll do yeah. a weird phase with not Hardline. so recent breakup. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing, like, we say, like, recently, because it really doesn't feel, like, too long ago, and that's, I, I think that's just because 2042 has not gotten any better. It feels like they, maybe they've changed things, but it doesn't feel like there's, like, a community involved that even is celebrating I, any fixes or anything. I will say, because I kind of keep semi-up to date with what they're doing. They're reworking a lot of their maps to make them a little bit more interesting. Um, hopefully. <laughs> um... <laughs> They're they're trying to revert back to like classes. I don't know if that's been like a full change yet, but I know that they're trying to get back to like the classic like four for five classes. Um, mm -hmm. But I and I tried playing it a little while ago just to see like what's new, and I'm just like it just doesn't feel right. <laughs> it just it yeah. just feels off. <laughs> and and because the the reason like like the, these the the battlefield versus battle bit thing the reason that specifically this is such a, a, a good and timely comparison is that they literally could not be more different where the quintillion dollar AAA like series that's been around for like 20 years has just completely and utterly failed to even meet like what the standard of the series is in its last installment. 
basically just like resulted in I, I would be surprised uh if and how it came back meanwhile battle bit i i think like single digit dev team has completely dethroned it by now uh it has more players than i think multiple of the like lower player counted battlefields combined uh including some of the more recent ones too in there uh and i don't know what the like exact budget for for either project is because i know battlebit in particular was funded off of patreon money and 10 of those dollars were from me uh but i i would have to imagine that battlefield 2042 you know had it had years of development they made sure to to like show off that part to try to get people's hopes up from from people not liking five they also and, canceled uh, roadmaps for two different games just so they, they could work on the game and i i'll not never forget sure. i'll never forget at the time i was like hey if that means they can have all hands on deck for a good battlefield game then i'm fine with that exactly, i am I eating my words like a three-course <laughs> meal right now mm-hmm. <laughs> i got my di- i got my my fork and i got my knife and i'm just i'm just eating those words really going at it really just just chomping down (laughs) yeah i mean the current number of players active in battlebit right now is higher than the peak players for battlefield 2042 for the last six months that's awesome (laughs) that's incredible that's more than i expected (laughs) <laughs> it, it's yeah it, it's significant battle battle bit has about 20 something thousand people playing right now Twenty three thousand. i mean it was it was correct me if i'm wrong it was like top of the steam charts for a little while wasn't it? oh yeah it sold for when it first far came and above really yeah. what yeah. had been expected of it uh smash success i think everyone could say oh yeah, yeah sure. it, it just feels really good to play as well which is mm-hmm. that's the thing yeah. that's been continually not being there with battlefield is it just at the core doesn't feel as good to play and And that's a bad problem to have i feel like the most embarrassing part is that battlebit is in early access right now we have all said at various points if they took the early access tag off the game not a single person would complain and i think any new players wouldn't even notice that it was in early access it is yeah, fully yeah. polished plenty of content it's like good to go <laughs> i yeah. i'm like i i was in, in the days leading up to this i was trying to think about like if i had any like even like small bugs and it's just like no the battle bit's been in like a very loving development cycle with like a ton of fan feedback because they kept doing uh public tests over the whole like year uh, or even more leading up to the the Steam launch for the game, and like really, it, it's very clear to me that uh, the team behind it like took into account all the things that everyone was saying, and even honestly, even during the the public test before it was released on Steam, there was never any like crashes or anything crazy like that. It's like it's it, it's we'll we'll get on we'll get onto this more later, but the fact that it is surprising. Uh, like and, and just amazing to have a game that can release nowadays and not be full of bugs on launch is like crazy, and that's kind of depressing for everything else. But for Battlebit, it's really good because I like I don't know what I don't know if these this group of people is going to do anything next in the future, but I think they've just struck such a home run immediately where any shooter game that they could possibly make, I'm I'm game for it because they have the base mechanics down and. 
you know, I, I, I feel like it could be uh, where say they say they truly went back to basics for an official Battlefield game and they and they just tried to nail like the basic what you'd expect from like Battlefield three, four, one and five. Uh, and yeah, the, the ones that people like these are the mechanics from these that we really enjoy that they have not been able to replicate in 2042. Uh, I, I feel like just because Battlefield, like the name, has been around for so long and there wouldn't really be any innovation in that, that people would still be a little bit disappointed because, like, yeah, you got the base gameplay right, but, you know, where, where's the where's the stuff that makes it feel new? That's based. Battlebit yeah. even does that. It does the basic Battlefield things, but then also there's, like, individual little mini voxel destruction yeah. and sledgehammers to break through walls and shovels to dig through little, Dragon, little peak holes. Driving down, uh, dragging really bodies. Mean which 2042 famously could not accomplish or <laughs> battlefield five <laughs> and they have uh helicopters that you can zip line down that i don't even think a battlefield game has tried coolest it's, thing it's in the game crazy by the way. it's so, so much so fun sick. especially when you launch yourself off and immediately die. <laughs> <laughs> i would so ar funny. i would argue that the funnest thing in this the game is sitting on the ground with a machine gun and just <laughs> Killing every guy who tries to zip line down. <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> looking out Look, for it. Your fun's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just think having Battlefield always in its advertisements tries to get those Battlefield moments because it was like a classic thing in the era of Battlefield 3, 4, and 1, it, all the way up to maybe 5 you had the ability to have those Battlefield moments because the games were very focused on that kind of mix of vehicular and regular scale combat and mm -hmm. things like destruction that varied in how effective they were across different games. But there was always this running thread of you could have a battlefield moment at some point and everyone did. You always had some crazy story. Battlebit actually does it naturally all the time. Like that's yeah. the thing with Battlebit is like, Brett, you and I have the story of we ran into a giant subway system that became a yes. death tunnel as the hundreds of players on both teams kind of all went to this one point that neither side was Don't capturing. Walford Delicious was playing. Walford yeah, Delicious was playing. Yes. <laughs> I, one of my favorite memories was, uh, you know that map with the giant, like, ship? The, like, giant... Yeah, um, like, yeah with the cargo, yeah. Um, you, you get a decent, like... Uh, you know, group on there, they can hold that thing down. You can't even approach it. So mm -hmm. we were we were trying to get at it from the sides, and then me and like four other people magically with no communication had the exact same idea. We got those like those uh, grappling hook launchers, and then we launched a bunch of grappling hooks at the very top of the ship, which they weren't expecting. Everyone climbs up the uh, climbs up the ropes, and they're done. It just it was this like beautiful Good. solution <laughs> to the problem, and we're like. That that's probably my favorite like piece of equipment in the entire game is that like yeah. grappling hook launcher. I thing. feel like Battlebit awesome. <laughs> um really gets it right because um in many cases it's just um it doesn't try to do too much that's really fancy, you know? Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like here's we've broken it down to the simple things. And and I mean there is fancy stuff. There's cool stuff. You get grappling hooks up the side of the building and whatnot. But there's nothing really like over the top about it. It's like okay, uh, you can equip a grapple hook, shoot up at the top of the building, climb up the rope. Like it's there's no like fancy. Yeah, exactly. There's no like I don't know nothing weird out of the realm of uh, just you know it's right there. It's simple. 
It's exactly everything it behaves just how works. you expect it to be. It, it just, just works. works. And I think a, a large part of that, and this probably gets into the whole like budget conversation, is because of the way it looks. It is a very like mm. charming but very simple like voxel kind of boxy look. But because of that, they don't have to curtail themselves to some kind of like sense of realism. If it looks kind of yeah. janky and wacky, that's fine. In fact, if anything, that just makes it better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all, it's all part of the look. So they can get even... away with these, with these things that Battlefield has never been able to do because because oh, we can't make it look right with our realistic art. So it doesn't matter here. It, yeah, doesn't matter. I, I would I would not be surprised if one of the big reasons that they couldn't get dragging bodies to work in the last two Battlefield games is because they just kept clipping through the the. 8K texture, like, That's 93. Okay. We can't have it, exactly. It does. It it breaks the immersion. And I think I've been more immersed playing Battlebit just because of the soundscape and the scale mm. and the abilities that you have. I've been more immersed in Battlebit than I have in any recent memory while playing Battlefield. And I, I really liked Battlefield games. And I'm sure while playing them for the first time, especially like one with just how like pretty all the the old school world war one like landscapes are and everything i'm sure like i probably felt the same way but like right now it's just it's hard to compare to a game that is lovingly compared to roblox and accurately so <laughs> and because like when I, I feel like most people that have not touched any sort of innards of game development or like art related thing or creation whatever like just, just the people that will angrily tweet about every video game ever because it's not like cod or whatever uh they, they just see graphics and go oh well that just makes the game look worse why are people playing this and this like again this relates instantly to to budget and just like scope because the second that you're not worried about making your game look like the most flawlessly realistic thing ever you can cut down on uh things that would normally break the realism are no longer a problem anymore because you weren't going for that in the first place. Uh, all of a sudden, a whole slew of graphics cards that are at least five or ten years older can now magically run your game because they're not rendering individual pores on the guy that you're shooting from 500 meters away. That you're never going to see. And you're never going to see. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, now you have you're possibly in, in other games' cases. Now it's it could be easier to port it to different consoles because now you don't have to worry about which ones can run things better than other ones. Which, to be uh, clear, they've said that they don't really have plans for it at the moment. But which is it's fine. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's fine. That, it's still really also goes concept. back to the that probably goes back to the budget thing of like it's a small team. I would bet none of them know how to do a console port and yeah. learning would cost a lot of time and money. So I would yeah. rather them focus on PC. Yeah. It's a case of like, at least until the game is out of early access, I could definitely yeah. see a case being made for once it's out of early access with the huge success it's had. It'll probably also have huge success on these other platforms. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's not necessary because it's like you have your audience. You don't need to yeah. expand it right now. You have a dedicated audience. Just improve the game right now. Yeah. In terms of uh, the art style as well uh, being advantageous in this case, um, I do feel, well, I have some complaints about some like the UI occasionally. Um, I feel like it's weird uh, if you can tell who's an ally and who's not. But other than that, mm -hmm. I feel like the game is very readable. There's rarely a case where I'm like, is that a guy? Um, where, you know, if, it, you know... And and it depends. Maybe you kind of want that in a game sometimes, but with a game like Battlefield or other first-person shooters, sometimes you know, is that a guy? No, it's a eight k 
8K bush in the way, you know? <laughs> Battlefield 5. That the one map where it's just gray trash everywhere and all the soldiers <laughs> on it are wearing gray trash. And it's just there's no there's no spotting anymore because they wanted to make it they wanted to make it hardcore and and to get the, yeah, get and I, I casuals mean, I, out of here. I, I like, like that. <laughs> I like seeing I, my enemies. <laughs> it <laughs> sort of depends on the kind of are. game. Yeah, it depends to me on like the kind of the game I'm playing. And I think for Battlebit it works really well. Um, you know, if I'm playing Sniper Elite, maybe I do want to be like, is that a guy or is that yeah. a statue of Hitler? Um. <laughs> yeah, but in like a competitive multiplayer game, I think the, especially because there's, there's a phase of every Battlefield game has gone through the phase of snipers are so incredibly overpowered and nobody knows what mm -hmm. to do. And it typically gets resolved pretty quickly. It's not a thing that always sticks around very long, but it happened. It's all like how most Call of Duty games had the quick scoping problem. <laughs> Yeah. It's just a. Sometimes there are problems that are inherent in some of these games, and that's okay. But Battlebit didn't have it at the start, so it's already a leg ahead of a lot of the uh, prior Battlefield games. Yeah, it 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 does seem like, and and this could be when when I when I think of budget, also I, I do want to say at least the perspective that I came to this with is not only like monetary budget period, but it's also like. Like time. scope like of time the dev scope team, or... time, how many people are working on it, what like this because you're assuming uh like AAA professional game devs. You're probably, I mean, not even probably like in some cases you're working inhuman amounts of hours to get your job done, uh because that's just how how crunch happens. Well, yeah, that's sucks. why there's so many stories about that... dev studios and crunch because yeah. it's a scope problem of. And it is the case that, like, a lot of the time, people really want games to have a lot of stuff in them. Battlebit achieves that by cutting down in other areas. Like, Battlebit yeah. cut its scope from things like art and polish in a lot of places and instead put it into the core game loop and map design in areas where yeah. mm -hmm. a big multiplayer shooter needs it. So Battlebit did the right thing because it also means, like, can you imagine how we would never see this game, even with a, like, multi-hundred-person studio, if they were like... Every brick that you put down needs to be realistically rendered. So when you blast the wall God. out, it looks incredibly realistic and is just so so immersive all the time. Because Battlebit's got great level destruction, but it's great level so destruction because it looks terrible. <laughs> and that's yes. and, and that's one of the things, right? I feel like I feel like one thing that that maybe isn't thought about enough is like when you have a simple graphic style like Battlebit everything becomes so much more scalable and like if you need to fix mm -hmm. something in your level you need to move that that boulder over you know half an inch or something it is so much easier to do that with a simple art style where you don't have to adhere to like yeah. realistic uh environments as much and that's the real like, bit we've seen even... like three map reworks since early access came Already, out in yeah. addition to a new map so yeah. like like I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining like, like let's let's even put aside like I'm, I'm just thinking of like AAA level design and like really good artistic level design. Like imagine you're working on Last of Us Two, gorgeous environments, but then your 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 level design team is like, oh, we got to move this thing over a couple of inches. The owners are like, oh, God, I just spent all this time yeah. trying to make sure yeah. all of these like vines are coming in the same spot and like the light hits this area in the exact same way. Now I have to move not just that boulder over, but I have to move everything in order to just mm -hmm. to, to get the same kind of like aesthetic look that i'm that i'm going for here it's like 
done. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have, to, I have to redo the baked lighting. I have to move all the 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 dirt and yeah. grime decals I just put down. I have to re-simulate the the plant growth around this crushed wall because I moved it four inches to the left to stop a a head glitch spot from existing. And it's like, dude, it's... I will I will select this like dodecahedron boulder and just move <laughs> it, and that's it. And, and push it, push the fix, and the and the people playing the game will get it tomorrow. Guys, Which I also don't think they. Too too light on it there's there's got to be at least one there's got to be at least one bush that has to move too it's just but i think i think that's like something that um and it's not anyone's fault in particularly but it's like it's one thing where like when people ask in big triple a like uh games where it's like oh we want this level to be changed it's like it's not that simple you can't just move yeah game objects and and assets and props around it's not that simple because mm-hmm. like it affects like so many different things, unless you have an art style like this, or you. Then again, it's it. literally. Or you, but yeah, or you your have engine like an is Halo good or something. You've got an engine that's built yeah. for that purpose yeah. of like, Halo could very easily, at least older Halo games, very easily adjusted <laughs> levels. Uh, <laughs> because of, <laughs> the era of Halo Reach, especially, was yeah, yeah, tons of of cool level stuff being done, because the tool was. It's super simple to use. It even though that game it does have a realistic art style, they didn't care about things like clipping very much. So yeah, it would they would still make levels with these tools that are like yeah. If you were to no clip out of bounds, you would very clearly see that it's like a massive scaled plane that is causing mm-hmm. like clipping through the wall here, and it looks terrible. But you're never going to see it from that angle, so who cares, right? You yeah. saw it it's, constantly when you died in those games. Constantly, oh yeah, for sure. like all the the Forge multiplayer maps. If you ever got out of bounds somehow, they look terrible. But because ever, it worked well enough, it was good. It's a good ground. You ever played a Halo map and you're like, something about this seems a little off. It's probably a Forge map. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something seems off. Why does everything feel so empty? <laughs> yeah, which we do. We, I, we have bashed Halo Infinite a fair amount on the show, yes. but I do want to give credit for their Forge mode because yeah, there's been a lot incredible. of cool stuff made in it. Uh, it, it did it's, take it's forever to come engine. out, but it, it, is, it, a, worth it is a game engine. I remember using it like a couple months ago and I was like, all right, I'm getting, you know, level design flashbacks <laughs> yeah. from college right now. I can't do this. <laughs> I can't go back and, to this. And that's, that. that's why I, I brought up like the, uh, like just the, the, the people making the games that like AAA games in particular working like crazy hours that I brought up before is probably only like, like one part of the issue. But like, when you play BattleBit, it feels like you're playing a first-person shooter that came out after all the other really good first-person shooters did. Whereas you play Battlefield 2042, and in, in some instances, even Battlefield 5 and 1, and you wonder, did they not like pay attention to the like things that we already got used to being done well in other games that tried this before? And like, I, I, I don't know if it's just because... Uh, all nobody on the the massive 250 person development teams uh, have played the other games that did things well. Uh, but like like when when Battlefield Five started trying to add like those those hardcore attrition things, and they just did not like like in in theory they were good, and I I would like for them to have worked, and they worked really well in Battlebit. Uh, it they like took the like weird wrong parts from them, and by that point like. Hardcore shooters had already existed, and it feels like they either didn't have the time to play those because they were our mm-hmm. full-time game devs, or they just didn't want to because maybe it was a 
It was yeah. a, a situation where it's like, oh, we don't talk about Destiny. Well, you're working on Anthem <laughs> or something, and it's just some weird separation. Just bring that up. <laughs> which, which is, but, but it's just like, it, it feels like when you have a, a smaller, more passionate team, and I, this is, the, the, the word that I'll be repeating is, is passion and passionate this entire time, because I feel like that is, like, the, the one, the one bastion that indie devs have against a big budget is their passion. And when not you have say, a smaller... Not to say that people who work in AAA don't have no, yeah. passion, to be clear. Yeah, and, and this, yeah, I, I, I do want to say... I have no passion for what <laughs> and stick up for ryan here i think he's got a fair bit of passion going okay well and i'll I'll say what i was going to say now even so if if you have like a nine person dev team i i I don't know i admittedly do not know the amount of people that worked on battle bit but it's it's a small number because it's an indie team and it was probably just like a couple main guys that were programming and and making and designing stuff and i bet they got a bunch of other people to help with other stuff on like one-off two-off basis uh, for like assets and plugins and stuff like that, because that's how indie game dev goes. Um, but I would assume that if you get a bunch of friends and like-minded people together to make an indie game, to a degree, every one of those people is going to be super passionate and reliably so until that game's completion, because you've got together a, a small team of people who really wanted to make this thing that nobody else was was making yet. So, of course, everybody's going to be super pumped up to do it. Uh, When you get to, um, like, the crazy large swaths of developers, and again, just like Wyatt said, and Ryan has proven to us time and time again, I am not saying that people who work on AAA games do not feel passion for their craft. It's just to do indie, you need it. Like, you to can't do indie, do indie development it? without it. And to do AAA, you're on a team with possibly so many people that maybe, like, to a degree, you're getting paid however much. I Would it be so surprising to say that a lot of people just view it like a job and do it to get paid? There's a... And, like, even if... Like, that's not a negative way to treat making a game. But if you get enough people on a game dev team that are like that, then you get something, you get a disaster like Redfall, where it's like very clearly the people that are working on the game, this is from like stuff that has come out from the development. They didn't even want to make what they were making. They were just, yeah, at some point they were like, we we just need to get this out because we spent so much time on it. Exactly. Yeah. We got to salvage something, which, yeah, I think that's why we used to hear a lot about a lot of high profile game cancellations. um, Yeah. Very rarely do anymore because if those cancellations happen, it's probably that we as consumers just don't hear about it. Because uh, it, it's early enough that they d- just never got into full development. Whereas in prior years and whatnot, before internet era game dev, there were tons of projects that got super far along and just never actually ended up releasing because of like licensing or other things. But they also didn't have budgets yeah. the size of Mars. So That's, yeah. that's what I was going to bring up. It's more profitable if a game is you know, not doing well internally. It's like, ah, just push it out the door. Some people will play it. We may get our money back. Mm. It's better than just having that money just go down the hole and <laughs> never see it yeah. again. I did a quick Google. I just sent the link to you guys. The dev team, the team that's listed on the Battlebit Remastered website is three people. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Now, <laughs> now I... I don't know if there's other folks that have hopped in and helped out here and there or whatnot, 
But Node what's and, listed on the website is three names. That is pretty crazy. <laughs> and notably, notably, their their titles are lead dev, 3D artist, and moderation team and level designer. Not a single sound engineer or anything in there. Despite for, how which good is the sound design is. Despite how good the sound is. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, BattleBit's a, a really special case, I think, as well. And to be fair, BattleBit <laughs> is not immune to dev issues. Of Like, BattleBit oh, was in development for seven years, and it's still in early access. That's mm -hmm. an incredibly long dev time, but it's clear that like that work was very well done, and it has paid off for them. Um, well, and I, I think those... it's a better kind of perspective of, like, we can fund three people for seven years. We can't fund 300 yes. people for seven years yeah, with no and, return. And yeah. with it taking seven years with those three people, I cannot imagine. I'm sure there is no way that these people don't have jobs other than of course, this game. Yeah. They, yeah. They yeah. I'm sure now they don't. <laughs> well, now, now they yeah. probably are good to take some time off from whatever they were working on before. <laughs> yeah, now they can probably devote can their day job time, maybe <laughs> yeah. even hire, uh, say, a fourth person. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> or, I, yeah, I mean, but, you know, it's going to take seven years when... Who knows what's, you know, mm. that game's going to get delayed when one member says, oh, sorry, my kid got sick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's suddenly well, a team-wide concern every time. Yeah. And also... Oh, got, I, had to run out and get groceries. Couldn't implement that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, think about it this way. You have three people. That means you only have two other individuals to think about when you're doing version control. Right. Which, you know, you're you're doing you're doing. Oh, my God. You're doing version control when you're trying to, like, accommodate for hundreds of people that must get. Absolutely yeah, I will say version control. There's like a level where version control is very concerning, which is like mid tier double A where you've got maybe 100 people on a project <laughs> at the most. That's where version control is at its worst because you're probably not using a custom built solution. Once you get to like full AAA, at least in my experience, version control is no longer a problem. Of like, that it, does make sense. It's a non-issue be because there are solutions for it and people are just training and whatnot. It's just a yeah. If you're in a studio that hasn't solved that problem yet, I'm sure it is much more of an issue. Um, I think the point still remains. It is still absolutely. very, like, so straightforward. You text, you have one group chat with two other people, and you're like, hey, I'll work on this thing. All right? Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I think also <laughs> sure. that ties into Oh, touch it. <laughs> so part of this discussion that I think we want to have is about the sort of divide between, like, C-suite and production versus design and development a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and not to say that those are different. Like, a lot of the time, those are the same people at smaller studios, but... Um, production scheduling does not always line up with what development scheduling is. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of the time, it's just a case of like, it's hard to estimate creative work anytime. Like ask an artist how long it's going to take them to make a painting. And then you, you'll get a hundred different answers of like, well, if I have artist block on this day, it's going to take twice as long. But if I don't, maybe it'll take five minutes. And like, You'll get a different answer every single hour. <laughs> yeah. Like it's there's a limit to how much predictive work you can do in a creative thing. Uh, and I think indie teams often both, it's a nice thing. They don't have to deal with that a lot of the times, but they also often fall prey to it of because they don't have any type of estimation of how much time they're going to take on things. They end up crunching super hard. Cause a lot of the crunch stories we hear are not from AAA, They're from indie studios. 
Yeah. Uh, I think very famously, the Fez, like single developer who made Fez, basically burned himself out on game development ever by making Fez, yeah. and then immediately like <laughs> went ballistic, insulting people and all that. Huge drama was over that for a while, but it, indie dev can be just as stressful, if not more so, than AAA, because like, I think as Brett was talking about earlier, AAA, you have people that have your back a lot of the time. Like If you're sick or something, it's not a big deal because there are other people on a team that can cover for you for a little bit or maybe like your timeline is, is extended enough because you're not focusing on every individual element of a game. It's like when I'm working on something, I'm not working on every part of the game. I'm working on one part of the game. And that means I have the, a lot of time to spend on that one part. Whereas if, in an indie studio, you're working on tons of parts of the games, which is also why the scope discussion comes into point is battle bit. They're just working on a multiplayer shooter. That's the core of their game. And they know it, so they don't have to spend time working on a single-player storyline, right? Like they, they're just like we or never need that. Launching a live service, or launching a live yeah. service, or doing like all these other things that are just for an indie team distractions. Like they, they would be just taking time away from uh, multiplayer. I think very famously, I don't know how many people here have heard of Battle Right. Uh, Battle Right was a phenomenal game by. I think it canceled like right away. Or <laughs> Not right away. No, that game was out for a very long time, but. It was a. Let me make sure I'm saying the right. Yeah, it is Battle Right. Battle Right. It's by uh, Stunlock Studios, who are a very good dev studio. They made a lot of good stuff. But Battle Right was a sort of idea of what was like. What would League of Legends be if it was like a two v two or three v three small arena right. game where you use Waz to move and you like yep. skill shot everything? It was very good, very good multiplayer, like quick match, uh, competitive game. But at some point in development, they realized like this game is not getting the publicity that we need for it to be successful. Like, it, it's not getting the player numbers. So they tried a bunch of stuff, but they devoted a ton of time to a Battle Right Battle Royal, which is sitting at positive on Steam, but it fractured the player base and made the game both Battle Right Royal and the regular version of Battle Right die much quicker because there just weren't players. Now, that said, their newer game where they've kind of solved that problem a little bit, V Rising, has done phenomenally well. Like, V Rising oh, was extremely well-received when it launched on Steam. Um, and it's still getting updates at a good clip and whatnot. So they've kind of solved that problem now, but it took a failed game to know that, basically. V Rising was another game that, uh, not that long ago, that game released, uh, and I went, wait, what I played was Early Access? It's still yeah. early. Access. Yeah, <laughs> the Rising launched and it was. It felt like a polished game. Uh, yeah. It was clearly no, like I think the ceiling. It did, content, I think it did officially. It has come not out early access. Launched. Really? Yeah, I I'm looking it was like a month right ago now. or something. Okay. Well, either way, it got a huge update a month ago. Either way, that game is so good. Like, yeah, it that that could be its own. Yeah, it's a great example of like how to take a cool building survival game, and especially because V Rising's got a couple of mechanics that are a little bit iffy because they're not iffy from like a design perspective. They're very well designed, but they're designed around the multiplayer servers where you're playing with other people and there's PvP and whatnot involved. So they have mechanics where like you need to fuel your castle engine for things to not deteriorate, and that way you have to like make sure that you're actively playing or else other players can start claiming your land, which, you know, that would be super frustrating if you're a single player. So their solution is you can have custom servers for your own stuff and tune every single thing in the game to be as good, as difficult or as not difficult as you want. And then you never have to deal with that. You can just make it a non-issue, which feels great. Like, it's a good solution to have of, 
hey, if you're going to play on multiplayer in these servers where we need active players all the time, you have to deal with consequences of, like, if you quit playing, your castle's going to go away because other people will probably need the land. And in your single-player environment, you don't have to deal with that, which is, it feels really good. Mm -hmm. It's a cool... Or maybe you do want to do it. Maybe you want it to be like a challenge run in your single-player game. Because unlike multiplayer, the single-player game clock is not running 24 hours a day. It's only running when you're actively playing. So a lot of stuff, you can scale it to work a little bit differently. And um, that and, and that kind of ties into another thing that I, I think, if you're, if you're a smaller studio, you know, three people, ten people, whatever. Another thing that you have to keep in mind is like, you're making a project. You want... You have this kind of, um, like, you have your intent, you have what you want to do. You have to focus on exactly what is important here. And, yeah. like, the fluff either needs to be not there at all, or it needs to really not take up much of your your time. You have to be so smart about where you put your money. You have to be, like, in terms of the experience we're making, what is most important here? And mm -hmm. everything, at least for now, can fall to the wayside. And I feel like... <clears throat> bigger teams you get the more budget you get understandably you're like i want to i want to have more i want to add more and you can sometimes lose lose sight of like what really is kind of important to our for our trajectory yeah. here i yeah definitely because just because you have like statistically numbers wise the ability to probably make all the crazy moving parts and pieces now that you have a a multi 100 person dev team working on something if you don't like nail the base like if you if you don't get the basic battlefield gameplay down it doesn't matter what the hell you add to battlefield 2042 it's not going to matter because the basic battlefield expectation isn't even met so it, it doesn't matter like what your your uh like you could have infinite time and infinite money to to expound upon it but if you don't even get that like the scope down in the first place uh that's and and again just like we've said before it's it's one thing to fund three people over seven years is another thing to fund 300 people over seven years and if you're 300 person seven year long dev project that you banked everything on is the failure that you have to learn from you, you don't just get the chance to learn from 300 that <laughs> people in their jobs like it's exactly a yeah you huge like that deal yeah that's that's why like things get like canceled inside because it's like why like there, there comes that point where you know at some point we have to release it but also on the other hand it's like do we really want to spend like five more years on this there's other things we could be working on and by the time this comes out we, we've lost sight we, we've lost the plot of what we were originally going to do yeah um and so even it's... no go uh, no, no 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 go for it <laughs> Uh, so even in like the big AAA space, like if you do not have those fundamentals that like an indie team like has to have, probably like you know a, a little more because there's fewer people working on it. Uh, you're still gonna end up releasing a flop or a game that people actively like dislike because you, I mean, you, you basically failed. There's no nice way around it, and now you've blown millions of more dollars compared to how much it would have been if it was a small project. Yeah. yeah, and it, that's also the big difference between games like Battlefield 2042. They come out, they flop because they can't even get the the basics right. Games mm. like Destiny, games like Sea of Thieves had a good loop. They had 
like the fundamentals there. So they were able to crawl their way out of the hole that they originally <laughs> came in. And then in some cases they crawl back into a different hole, but that's a different discussion. <laughs> it's a lot of the holes. The point is, the yeah. point is. We'll talk about Destiny 2 someday. <laughs> well, we'll talk about <laughs> I feel like we won't have to because we always sneak in little bits of information. Yeah. We can just, we just make, make a big super. Yeah, we'll make yeah, a big right. super cut. Just... I am still enjoying <laughs> Destiny 2, but man, the latest state of the game was kind of depressing to read. <laughs> so... <laughs> but I mean... Uh, Ryan and I just played Sea of Thieves for four and a half hours, something today. Close to, we and, started at what one thirty, and then played until yeah. close to like six thirty. So a good like yeah. six hour, five to six hours of Sea of Thieves. Yeah, and that game is very similar situation. It came out very bare bones, very buggy. People weren't quite sure what the game was supposed to be, but it had that like that foundation of like it's really fun to operate your ship with friends it's really fun to go out to this to these random islands and and discover all their secrets and run into players and you don't really know what they're going to do and because the game had such a good foundation even though it came out in such a uh bare-bones state it was able to work its way up there and now i think ryan and i can both agree we played the game for five hours today it's a really fun fully featured game now yeah you have uh, to be in the mood for it for sure but like it's, it's i think a, that what a, i had said to wyatt is that it's like the euro truck simulator <laughs> games. that's awesome but it's yeah. fun because it's multiplayer and it's also like there's a lot more to look at there's things to land in we had a we encountered another group of players just around and then through just the social interactions in the game managed to communicate that we're not hostile and then had a band playoff and the game gave us an achievement for playing songs <laughs> with another group of players that was Good. that could have been hostile so. it was awesome and and same thing with destiny i mean remember when taken kin came out like that was destiny at like its peak for so many that was people. the peak yeah like yeah. destiny comes out people are like wow this is really fun but also what happened to Taking King, where everyone was like universally like, I am now happy with the state that the game is in. It's because both of those games knew, like, no matter what state this game comes out in, you got to get the fundamentals right. And not that that's not that I'm endorsing that as proper game development. What I'm saying is that like, there's there's a difference between a game that comes out and has potential, which is why it's able to progress further on, right? and then you get things like Battlefield 2042, where it's still trying to get those fundamentals in. And so it's not able to capture any more players because it's still trying to get its basics in. It's also a lesson that, that, like, um, a, a long time ago at this point, a couple of years, I worked on an, a project in Montreal that was super cool game. Uh, came out, we it was a game I was just an intern on while I was still in school, so I was had no like horse in the race of how it was going to do. But over the course of that internship, we went from like this game's going to come out in december and early access to we have to not launch until we're full launch because our like the person running the project realized and what early access means as a launch thing of like you have to launch at a very specific state in early access for it to be acceptable and when you're choosing to launch into early access that is your launch like it's not you might get a second one at some point if your game is popular enough to get featured again but that is launch for all regular purposes so you have to have been at a state where what you're showing off is acceptable enough that it could yeah. represent a full game. And if it's not, you got to make the smart call and like, wait, like <laughs> don't announce it yet because if your game launches and it looks bad or plays poorly, it's going to be a huge problem because people aren't going to yeah. attach to it. So and the other thing about early access is once you have your early access launch, you have to prove to your 
player base that you're going to keep updating it. For as amazing as Valheim is, and as good as I've heard that latest like update for Valheim is, once that game came out in early access, people I I noticed the like conversation around it drop off fairly quickly because, you know, I'm sure that small it was like twelve, ten people, something like that. I'm sure they were hard at work, but they didn't release anything for a while, and so the mm-hmm. the the conversation around that game dropped. As good as that game is, and someone just played quite a bit of it, I really enjoyed it, but. Yeah, you I'm know, sure Valheim's like, conversation will pick back up again when it's full oh, release. Oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. I think Valheim is the case of that. That game has earned its second launch of, like, the yeah. word of mouth around it was so good that I think a lot of people are just kind of quietly watching until it does full release. That's what I'm doing. I, I played it a ton I am, yeah. in the first early yeah. access state, and then I was like, I'm good. I, I will happily play this again when it releases, but I don't feel the need to keep playing it in the in-between. So... Even if you have a good launch in early access, though, there's there's a there's a, a point where if you you know if you're really slow with updates, people are like, "What's going on? What's the yeah? You know, what's the what's the problem?" And it's, and it's the for... same with same with early access and full release games. It's like, where's the content? Yeah. Where's what's going on? And that's like people will have people to to like Valheim. It's it's acceptable because like okay, these people have proved that capable of giving us something good and you know there's still like a, a drip feed of good solid stuff every so often that hasn't destroyed the game and has only really improved it so it's fine but even even then like like i i don't really care i'm gonna play the game again when it releases in full or add something more substantial so i don't burn myself out on it but even then it's like oh yeah you know what that is a really good point i have not thought about it in forever and for a game to release an early access and not be as good as Valheim it's like that problem gets like 20 <laughs> times worse for like ev- every little bit worse that the game itself is because then you get like, I remember uh like a couple of years ago early access as like a phrase would be about as poorly viewed as like having your game be like a kickstarter game because it just like like the the intent was always there for you to be like hey like here's a really good base and while we finish oh. the last like third of the game and the end game or whatever uh you can play the first little bit of it as many times as you want awesome it was like totally taken advantage of and just like full of like really crappy projects from yeah. like indie and triple a yeah. studios alike it was just very clear that they were just taking advantage of ooh we get free money earlier we don't have to finish the game yet or ever <laughs> Uh, but yeah, now I, mean, I feel like, people... like uh, well, I guess you already said Kickstarter game, so that kind of covers yeah. <laughs> the uh, uh, Star Citizen of it or whatever. That game, I everything <laughs> I've seen of it looks cool and polished, but uh, I'll see yeah. you guys in another thirty-four years when it launches. <laughs> so I played Star Citizen's like one of their free play weekends that they do occasionally, way back in in it, I just think it was high school. This was like gotta have been four four oh plus God, years ago. I'm pretty sure that. This video, <laughs> Ben, when I was in middle school, that they first started talking about that. To game. put that into perspective, I've graduated high school, college, and have a full time AAA job now. Like that is <laughs> the amount of time that has passed, and released a game. That's the other thing. Like, there's a level of different timing here that's insane. Star Citizen's a an insane project because if you go and play their demos, like it plays well. It's cool. 2012. It's oh. so hardcore. <laughs> Star Citizen's so hardcore that I doubt it's going to find the audience that thinks it will when it's done. And it's really yeah. just very specific sets of people funding it so much. And when it launches, if it ever does, because it's important to note, it has one star system in the game. Mm-hmm. For the 
the game that's whole thing is being like a persistent universe that has one star, star system and that star system is fleshed out and cool it's one thing the single player campaign they've been advertising for the same amount of time is not out yet and gets perpetually delayed every time like i'm thinking of a different game but didn't they market that like uh, uh mark hamill was mark hamill like a... is in, no, Mar in star system yeah. squadron 42 we don't know where it is <laughs> It's off somewhere in the distance. Yeah, it's wild, especially because they announced voice actors that early in development. Of like, if yeah. you, what what are they doing? Like, what is, is it, well, to be fair, done? also, uh, Mark Hamill was one of the main actors in previous games made by Wing Commander. This developer. Yeah. yeah, like Wing Commander. Oh, so like, okay. so Chris Roberts is one of the uh, the person who heads up Star Citizen Star Citizen's dev team is legendary for wing commander and freelancer and all that stuff um, yeah games where he had someone above him telling him where when there was a date for the game <laughs> I, to come oh, out mark hamill has <laughs> been in two of those projects then that's interesting look I, deadlines uh, are, I, I, are the other person <laughs> are often the bad guy in a lot of game novel but they're also very important <laughs> to put yeah, we're, some we're kind of pressure to they're ambivalent how many times have i said this on this show Game developers are incredibly creative, hardworking people that will never ever finish a project if you don't tell them to. Yeah, you need that's, that's just the reality. The you fact, need producers the to, fact that, to reality check your development. Like the yeah, head yeah. designer is also like the CEO and head producer and everything, and has basically an infinite money source from. I think that game at one point had the highest Kickstarter. Um, it still does. It still does. I think they crossed a hundred million recently. Yeah, exactly. God. So if you have in near infinite money, like you can't spend that much on developing that game. You have near infinite oh money, God. and no one to tell you, "Hey, this game actually has to come out someday." <laughs> yeah, then it will just go forever. <laughs> yeah, we can we can do another they, episode as of in this another year, six, seven years. Half a billion uh, dollars. Oh my. <laughs> Oh my so, god! Isn't that for some games? Like, I think Rockstar games get pretty close to that, but. But that's Rockstar! They also out. They also release. And are basically the most popular games ever. Or, Here we're you know, debating, uh, you know, what's good about indie, what's good about AAA. Uh, this is the worst of both. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is what happens so when you give an indie dev team the budget and resources of a triple a game and nobody knows how to use them like that yeah <laughs> it's astounding too it's really oh man they're about to cross 600 mil oh my Jeez. god <laughs> dude i i where where i think where i think the government was attacking the wrong people when they were trying to get money to pay off <laughs> student loans for everybody i think they should be going after star, star citizen, citizen instead i really what was like, this what's this space game why has it been in development for over 10 years no one know it it's not even come out yet how much are they? What? <laughs> yeah, they, they have a timeline where you can I'm see sorry. their funding by hour on their thing. Hey, they made, uh, Did you mess up how many ago, zeros was behind that dollars. six? I don't. I'm not accusing anybody of anyone, and I want this part of my statement to be in whatever latter part gets snipped out and put wherever everybody else can see it. But if 
you know, when you when you keep a, a, a timer counters showing you the exact <laughs> rate at which you're getting funded and you advertise that Mark Hamill's going to be on the project 90 million years before it's done. Those are things that you would do if you were knowingly scamming people out of their money. <laughs> a very important say, how long before this goes the way of, uh, oh, shoot, uh, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning? Oh, God, oh, man. No. Kingdoms of Amalur. <laughs> hey, that game is back from the ashes. <laughs> A game briefly out. owned they by the state of Rhode expansion. Island. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't a... know if you've heard about this, right? But basically, what happened with Kingdoms of Amalur? Thirty-eight Studios was headed up by like a famous football player who was Baseball, very I think. similar. Yes, I remember. Yes, I remember that. I remember it's that. Uh, yeah, Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling, uh, Red Sox very <laughs> similar to the um, the Star Citizen story, but for different reasons. Uh, <laughs> Got a ton of funding. He applied to a ton of, like... They they got funding from a lot of places that games don't normally get funding from, which means you have mm-hmm. to, you know, give the money back at a certain point. So yes. the state of Rhode Island funded a big portion of this game and was never paid back. <laughs> so Wonderful. the studio closed oh. and declared bankruptcy, all this stuff. And now the rights have wound up with, I think, THQ? Yeah, I think um, THQ yeah. bought him off because probably the state of Rhode Island didn't really want him. Talk yeah, about like, what's the state of Rhode Island going to do with a video game IP? Like, yeah, talk about coming them. back from the dead. How, so, yeah, how THQ fitting Nordic. a game. How how fitting that a game that was dead and buried buried was brought back by a studio that was also dead and buried around the same time. Yeah, and and well, <laughs> we can have a whole episode on that game. Probably, I, I don't need to. Get also, into it's it now. called Re Reckoning now. I just want to. <laughs> It's called the Re-Reckoning. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, um, they released a new expansion called Fate Sworn that was developed by Kaiko and Big Huge Games. I'm just so curious as to what happened. Like, someone has to have at this studio just really liked Kingdoms of Amalur. Well, it <laughs> had, like, a, an and... interesting world that was written by, like, a Fun well-known combat. author and whatnot. Yeah. Fun combat. Um, no, like, I'm I, super I just... happy about it, but I hope we get an actual sequel or something. At some point. I, I do have a, a Star Citizen question for you guys. Do you think Mark Hamill actually remembers that he's supposed to be like working on that game? I think like, I don't already actor. recorded his lines. No, yeah, I think oh. it has to have been years since he. But do you think he, he remembers? Probably... He's, he's like Star what? <laughs> Star my Wars? No, is, wait. <laughs> my question is: Does he think the game already came out and flopped? <laughs> like. <laughs> It's like, huh, I guess that game didn't do so well. I haven't heard anything about it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's in the trailer for this that they released, like, in 2018. And now, I I say this uh, to make fun of the game. I don't think Mark Hamill's, like, that old or anything, but he's going to be dead by the time time that releases. Yeah, (laughs) I I was thinking about that before. And just think about just, like... 25 years from now, the Mark Hamill's last role will be Star Citizen. <laughs> like, oh my yeah. god. Okay, let me. I'm going to read a paragraph to you that this, this comes from Games Radar, an article that they put out in 2022. So, this is 10 years after Squadron 42 was announced. Uh, in response to some of the, the questions about how Star Citizen development was going and like why it's taking so long, one of CIG's people explained, we knew early on that to hit the fidelity we expect for Squadron 42, we would need to do some R&D on bedsheet deformation. 
The work is currently underway and if it's successful will allow the AI to deform their sheets when entering, exiting, or sleeping inside them. This is a challenging assignment and expands the complexity of this feature. For example, what happens to the sheets if AI needs to exit the bed in an emergency? <laughs> no this, one cares. The, exactly, and this is why when when I'm when I'm thinking about this this topic, it it can't just be budget money equal different kind of game than budget with little money because there's so many other things that if you start giving people millions of dollars their brains become different and less <laughs> human than the people that don't have millions of dollars Brett, and they start to think about things imagine like bedsheet deformation <laughs> can you imagine spending weeks of your time on bedsheet deformation <laughs> Probably At without point, being able to, to use an actual bed. <laughs> like, like I like that's the thing. Like, and to a lesser degree, you know, we have like uh uh like the the things that people expect from the big, huge, like Naughty Dog AAA games that come out. They ex like if the second that a piece of an article of clothing is clipping through another, what what is this? What what is what is this? Nineteen ninety seven? Oh my god! This is the worst looking game I've ever seen in my life. And it's like, dude, I, I would I would prefer that I don't really care if like my, my my cape clips through my shield in Elden Ring. Elden Ring was widely recognized as the game of the year that it came out, and also it's like infinitely replayable and a really good game. So I don't care about things like that. But like, no, we need. The bed sheets to deform when you. It's like, this is me... why Starfield not having the the like No Man's Sky just land on the planet thing doesn't matter. Like, yeah, there's a yeah. point where you have to be like, what is the game about? Is it about this? No, cut it. Like, it doesn't matter because to yes, me... people are gonna be a little bit off put by it not having that one thing, but does it? Like the ramifications that doing that has on the rest of the game causes so much extra work that it's like okay. We gotta cut our losses here. We're not gonna do this one thing, and like, no planetary flying. It doesn't matter. Yeah. To me, um, this is where, as as well, um, this is where my brain stops thinking. <laughs> and the sentence I had goes away. Um, <laughs> okay, so this is where. Um, also, like, I. Where Starfield, uh, games, video games. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, we can I've had that stroke, I'm like sorry. Multiple, <laughs> we're seeing like multiple system failures. Oh, oh, oh. Right now. I got it. I got it. I got it. All right. I had You're to go so roll back in my head. I got distracted by Starfield. So this is where, like, we've been talking about games that have, um, like, support after they launch. Mm -hmm. This is, like, the perfect thing to have post launch support. Oh, no. The cape clips. Fix it in a week. Fix it yeah. in a month. It doesn't have impact to Don't the game. Don't fix it. Who cares? Don't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, this is... That's the kind of thing... Don't launch a game and then be like, we'll fix the core aspect of the yeah. game with an update down the line. I mean, and, and you want to... You know, you want a good example of, like, a game comes out, there's a lot of things to fix, right? The... the um, I don't know if anyone here watches Internet historian he made a great Sometimes. video on no man's sky and that and the that game's entire rebound right when he was specifically talking about 
um, like post-launch No Man's Sky, right? It comes out, people are furious. What do they do? They take all of the major criticisms that they're getting, all of the same things, they put it in a giant like Excel sheet, they put it in this giant data, like, data set, and they're like, all right, here are like the most common complained features, and we're going to organize them by how like frequently people are talking about it, and then we're just going to go down the list. Like, that is the most workman, like, we're working on the most important yeah. stuff, like, straight to the point. That is, like, that's the kind of brain that you need, where it's like, here's here's our game, here's what people want, here's the list showing everyone exactly, as clearly as we can, what they want, and we're just going to go down the checklist. Like, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Not yeah. saying that that's easy, but I'm saying, like, you need someone that is, like, with that kind of workman precision, like here's what needs to get done realistically and and yeah I mean, then that's, you have that's no a big, big part of most i think designers ideal like jobs essentially is being able to it's important to be able to like collate feedback and then go through it and actually like oftentimes player feedback is going to be not amazing like it's going to be typically very heated because when are players most likely to give feedback when something bad has happened like you're far more likely to get negative feedback than than good feedback just because of like yeah if I had a, a if I was playing a game and it crashed in the middle of like an important story moment I'd be pretty pretty miffed I'd be like hey what what's going on here most people don't word it that mo that friendly nope. <laughs> and it's important to be able to take those those poorly worded and often outwardly hostile complaints and realize like okay just because th these complaints are hostile doesn't mean they're not valid like there there's still something at the meat of these that is what is the problem here and a lot of the times like if it's a, a bug it's easy to fix it's like an easy thing that you can narrow down and be like oh well this is just not working the way it should so easy to fix but oftentimes it's like a design thing and so you have to look at it from a perspective of like well they might have said this is the problem but is that actually what's going on here or is it a case of like they don't feel like their time is rewarded or is something else going on is it like if someone complains about in a first person shooter they feel like they're just getting killed constantly and that they don't have enough health or something. Maybe the problem is not their health. Maybe it's that they're not seeing the enemies. Like maybe it's the issue of a, a different thing is actually at the core of what the problem is, which I think back to battlefield is why battlefield had that reactionary period where like, I think what was it? Battlefield five. And I'm sure 2042 probably had this where they just reactionarily buffed and nerfed to the time to kill repeatedly in like a period of a year like it changed so yeah. drastically and back and forth because they were probably looking at the wrong problem like that damage rework for battlefield 5 killed insanity. so many yeah killed so I, many people that were still playing <laughs> yeah i remember like being just about to to get back into it and then hearing one of my friends say oh the the fg42 can no longer kill a player in one magazine and I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm not playing this shit anymore. <laughs> I'm going to go do something else with my time. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's, I, if in, in the event that, you know, uh, you, you do end up releasing, uh, I mean, even like, like solid, like games that are like mostly like finished and received well have like problems that need feedback, like nothing's perfect. Uh, if you don't have the, you know, the right team with the right people on it looking at those problems, you're not going to get the right internal feedback from them. Uh, and again, it doesn't really, 
doesn't matter how much money you have or infinite time to fix those problems. Like you're going to lose people who are playing, who could be playing your game if you misunderstand uh, what they're asking for, what they expect from you. Um, and I actually, I, I think a, a, a good example of that specifically is uh, I, I uh, after the absolutely embarrassing disaster that was Hell Let Loose's most recent trailer that uh, everybody made fun of because it looks uh, well, well, Battlebit looks welcomingly and charmingly and comfortably like Roblox. The Hell at Loose trailer very uncomfortably looked like <laughs> Roblox and had possibly AI generated voices in it. Uh and so since then, um and they they like changed a bunch of stuff in the game. They made the, the, the running speed faster, which like, okay, this is a game where I previously was meant to feel like I had ninety pounds of gear on my back and now it's Call of Duty. Uh, and they were like changing around, like, oh, we're gonna add a small game mode uh, to fit in, you know, uh, people who just want to play on smaller maps. And it's like this, it's a hundred players in a default server. I'm not playing this game for for Call of Duty. Why are we doing this? It's very clear that they misread anything, any of the problems that people could have had with the game, and were listening to the wrong people. And by now, uh, the part of Team Seventeen that's working on it has come out and said, okay, yeah, player speed is slowed again work on the smaller game mode has been stopped for now. We explained the trailer situation. It was not even us that made it. And they have to walk back all these things that they changed because now they're realizing, okay, you listen to the wrong people. Now we have to listen to the right ones. And if it, it, it's, you know, a good thing that Hell at Loose was a, a beloved enough game to have people that are willing to come back to it um, and that they caught the problem as fast as they did, presumably, because I... I went and played some matches pretty recently and it is it feels about as good as it did before they made everybody really fast for no reason um it, that that is probably the outcome that i bet a uh, dice wish they had instead of changing things a million times over yeah. in the wrong direction and not walking anything back i don't think ever i think they only doubled down in saying really weird stuff to justify the mistakes they made instead of just be admitting that they made a mistake um which I don't know that 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 is also a very a very triple A thing to me is that if you don't have a good community management team, you can seem very inhuman as opposed to when it's just one guy on a small project or a really good triple A community manager or team. You know, you still have that human aspect to when fans want to communicate. Yeah, um, I think that that's that's something that like uh, another recent example, very recent Baldur's Gate three. I feel like they had a lot of the sort of advantages of uh, a strong community support from the support from the community and their community management um, was really good. They were pretty transparent with a lot of things going on with the game and, and mm -hmm. what was happening during early access and whatnot. And uh, that well, game's had an incredible launch. Yeah. And they, they had a, they had, they handled their entire early access period really, really well from what I understand as well. Yeah. yeah. Baldur's Gate 3, I think, is, is sort of the poster child for avoiding most of the problems that we've talked about um, because um, it is it's a game that is massive, huge, made by a AAA team and released fine. Like, there's largely not a ton of issues. I mean, it, the game did have issues of, like, people were doing too much stuff, so the save files had to increase in size because they realized that at the end of the game, you'd crash because your save file didn't have enough room to save anymore, <laughs> which is very funny. Um, I feel like Elder Scrolls games had that problem at some point, too. Um, that's hard to yeah, test, I've heard though, the too, game you know? is kind of buggy, but that's yeah. a case of like, well, yeah, it's it's buggy because you had however many people were playing the early access playtests at the start of the game tons of times. So in-game, 
hasn't had that that playtesting because they made the very smart decision to in early access and this is what they've done for divinity 2 as well when that was coming out they only had the first act of of the three in the game in early access so you would only play the first act because they want to keep the surprises and like the story secret for the final release and that worked really well in their favor so i'm i'm glad that we're at a state with early access that we are because off the top of my head, I can think of two of my favorite games that use early access properly. Uh, Hades and Deep Rock Galactic. Two games that used uh, early access perfectly, regular updates. I mean, you look at the before and after for uh, for Deep Rock Galactic, and it's it's crazy. I mean, mm-hmm. the amount of, like... The amount of art that went in, like after that early access launch, and all of the features that they added and everything, it's it's like heartwarming to see like uh, a a game like that evolve over the the span of time that it did. Yeah, so I, I think I, I definitely agree. Uh, I, I I feel like we're in a state with early access now where it's just it's viewed in in such a way by not only like us but like developers who are developing things in early access where they treat it with enough respect where it's like i want more things to be in early access so i can play things i really want to play earlier before they come out and then when they come out in full they can be more polished or whatever uh like what i would give to be able to play armored core in early access right now uh so many like starfield same thing like that just i'm just excited to try so many triple a and indie things that like you know if they're not going to give me a demo uh, I, I, I just like with Baldur's Gate, like the first third of the game, and then use that feedback to inform whatever else needs to be done for the the rest of it. Because I feel like devs have now, uh, almost, you know, with bad outliers within the last couple of years that I can't <laughs> think of off the top of my head. Uh, I, I feel like they get it by now, which yeah. is good. Which is why it's so insulting to me that AAA games come out with a beta <laughs> yeah yeah and it's like no it's this is demo. not this it's a demo it, it could be a, a build that's like months behind what you guys are actually working on which is often the case mm-hmm. but that's not the point the point is you're releasing this beta however many weeks or months before the game's launch you don't actually have time to fix those issues yeah and yeah. and the even if it's, are... and even if it's months behind that's still not it's like most betas that come out for AAA games, they should not look like that if it's a beta. They should not run like that if it's a beta. It's mm-hmm. it's insulting that we have things like early access that is like, this is legitimately where the game is at right yeah. now. And then you come out with something like Halo Infinite, which just now, a month ago, has a career rank system. That game came out like in <laughs> 2021, and they just added yeah. infection and a career rank system. Mm-hmm. So that's <laughs> the stuff that needed to be right at the start because yeah. for yeah. most yeah. people that quit Halo Infinite, I would bet that career ranking is a huge reason because that Definitely was in every other Halo game that had those progression systems and people liked it. Like it feels good to like BattleBit has the same thing of as you are playing, mm-hmm. you rank up in your your career progression and you get cool cosmetics. And that's, yeah, it, that's it helps it. you that's feel like thing. you're progressing through something. And it was also the case of like. I'm immediately put off when I go into my Halo game and then I look at the Master Chief collection and I can't replicate my color scheme from every other Halo game. Even if it's yeah. as simple as like, 
I like my orange Spartan with purple stripes. That's a good look. I used it in most <laughs> of the games. Couldn't do it in Halo Infinite because they moved Never to a again. shader system. And yeah. it's it's just a case of like, that's such a simple thing that I want to be able to do. And it doesn't mean you can't sell your shaders. It just means I would like to have the base level of what we had in every prior game in Halo Infinite. Like, yeah. It's not it's, a huge ask. You, you, you compare that too. I, I, I'm it, the game's not even out, but I've sent multiple videos to this chat of the Armored Core customization, and they just <laughs> give you Substance Painter, and it is all for free. As long as you have the game, obviously, but like it, you it know, comes you with get, the game. Yeah, they're gonna yeah. You, you, you get one good part for free. about Anthem. The one good part about yes. Anthem was their customization because it was very it was detailed, awesome. and you could like set materials. Great. Oh, Armored Core never has the same thing. <laughs> it's but it, even better because you don't you don't have to unlock like colors or pattern like you you just you it's just better it's better because you don't have to play Anthem. You don't have to play Anthem. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be able to play hopefully much better game. But like it's it's um, like it it's weird and this is getting like I I I, I wanted to find some way to to touch on this. It's not really part of the the main thing, but it, it is just weird how like I feel like AAA in a lot of ways. Uh, I mean, the entertainment industry as a whole feels like it is it is about to explode. Like it's just a a bubble that is ready to burst with a bunch of things that are progressing and in all these crazy ways. Like all every single new uh like Rockstar Naughty Dog game has to be this technological feat of human creation that pushes every single machine that runs it to the brink of just melting because of how and every human to the point of melting <laughs> and every human to the point of making including the people working on it uh but it's it's just like dude like i just like i just want to play a freaking video game here guys like i don't need to play like the next step in human evolution that's gonna make me think about like the universe differently like i just want to yeah. i just want to blow up a guy that's it and it, yeah, it, that's... it's very nice to have things like uh both in in indie and triple a like you have the the battle bits the ballers gate threes what looks to be armor core sixes where it's just like don't you remember how good video games used to be when they weren't trying to blow up the thing you were using and your wallet and we're just trying to let you have a good time playing it like, i have the thing is crazy. i feel like a lot of those games maybe not battle bit but Baldur's gate three and probably armored core six are gonna be newer and better and cutting edge in in their own way you know mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be i feel like the problem with some of these triple a games is and don't get me wrong i love red dead redemption 2 and whatnot no yeah not many to dis um, those specifically it's just they're really good examples to pull yeah, out yeah. because that is a genuine complaint about them in some ways but um they don't neither of those games look like they're trying to uh you know remake the wheel or anything no it's yeah. like here's what came before and we're gonna do it in a modern game setting, uh, to the best of our ability, and it's going to be new and fresh and cool. Um, and, you know, it just takes... And in that way, it is better than anything that came before it. Now, I can't mm -hmm. say that for Armored Core yet, because it's not out, yeah, but... Not out. But that's what it looks to be. Is gonna be like, <laughs> yeah, it's I, probably going to be... I will be... say, Armored Core is, I think, like, 50 gigabytes or something. Just, just saying Red Dead 2. In a similar vein, I I think myself, much like I think everyone else on this entire episode, have our criticisms of Nintendo, of how they treat yeah. uh, fans, how they treat customers. But two things 
that they always do, almost always do. They release a game that's polished, that is content complete, and they also give their devs the time to make what they're trying to make. They do it much better than other AAA studios. This is not including Game Freak in that amount of, of words that <laughs> Game you Freak, that listen. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> agreed. Make, I had to make sure thing. we touch base on that. But I, no, of course. But, like, I mean... Tears of the Kingdom, no matter how you feel about how Zelda has evolved as a series, it is a technical, like, achievement. The, mm -hmm. the size, the insane amount of freedom and, and detail and everything, the amount of just stuff going on, 17 gigabytes. And it runs yeah. on something that's probably less powerful than my phone. It's yeah. for it's, sure less powerful than your phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, is, it is a technical achievement. And mm -hmm. they also, from what I understand, were far better in terms of giving their developers the times that they needed. Now, do we know specifics? No. But we do know that Nintendo has a very good track record of delaying things until they're ready. And that also, mm -hmm. you know, making sure to keep the, the health of their uh, employees in mind. I mean, uh, Animal Crossing was delayed until March so that they could avoid crunch and still deliver yeah. the best game that they possibly could. No matter what you have to say about Nintendo, and I have a lot, <laughs> I have a lot of things to say about <laughs> Nintendo, about how they treat their their fans. They do those two things that are very, again, it's it's that mentality of like, you gotta you gotta just target the most important stuff, and it's like it's a also feature. Just, they know the importance. Game, healthy. Uh, they know healthy, the importance of like balance and art style over any kind of actual artistic fidelity, which is... Well, they, they force that on themselves because they keep releasing hardware yeah, that's several generations <laughs> behind. I think we all agree, the Switch is a little too far behind at this point. Like, it's... Yeah, yes. it's back I below. love the Switch, but yeah, it's it could use an update. Yeah, It, it is often not on par with the PS4. <laughs> it's to be hitting some, some barrier. Often. I think when are you getting yeah, it on par with the PS4? <laughs> but... It, it needs to, yeah, they need a hardware refresh at some point, but they they seem pretty okay with where things are at right now. So. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and, games also... like Tears of the Kingdom that make me go, oh, actually, maybe this isn't so bad. Here's a game that's yeah. but imagine incredible. But imagine 60 frames. Oh, <laughs> oh sure. It's, it's it that, could it's be better. Argument. It can always it's... be better. It's that weird roundabout argument of, like, would I prefer this game at 60, 120 frames? Per... Oh, oh, absolutely. I would. Is it a technical mask like achievement that they got it running at a <laughs> mostly solid thirty frames per yeah. second at all? On on yeah. again something that's that's far noticeably less powerful than my phone. Yeah, that's so impressive. Mm -hmm. I, they they kind of did that to themselves, but you know <laughs> they forced themselves it, to be impressive. <laughs> and that's the kind of that like direction of of innovation where it's not like expanding out to be like rivaling the fucking moon landing or something but instead like how like we want to do this but we just got it we have to fit it on this thing and that's forcing us to like you could probably i completely different kinds of technology like the i'm sure the porting process would be a nightmare but i'm sure like the the technological strain that Tears of the Kingdom puts on the Nintendo Switch, you could probably, someday, you will be able to run it on, like, something that is as powerful as, like, an Xbox 360-era console or something, because it's such a small game, 
like like download size wise and it's so like well compressed down like you probably couldn't get it any smaller if you tried without <laughs> ruining something uh where i i just feel like someday like you're going to be able to like backport it at some point if if that ever gets some sort of fan following i i am positive you will be able to if not tears of the kingdom then breath of the wild on yeah. some like console like three generations behind or something like that because it's just they're so well condensed and I, I would prefer something like that happen because like now we're getting uh some complaints from like devs where it's like okay microsoft can you please not require us to develop for the the series s anymore because yeah it's like a newer thing but it's less powerful than this other thing and our thing isn't going to fit on the less powerful thing we just made it that's, for the most powerful thing that's why like, well, gate 3 is coming out on playstation in a month and coming out on xbox yeah, oh, specifically cool. because they need they need co-op to work on the Series S, which like mm -hmm. it's, I understand why the co-op would be the concern here because you're rendering two windows and not just the mm -hmm. one exactly. So you have to deal with a very different problem than what normally is the concern there. And because Microsoft has a, I believe I don't hundred percent know this, but I think I had read somewhere that they have a policy that everything that works on the Series X needs to work on the Series S. Yes, so if co-op doesn't doesn't work then they have to cut it from both versions in the xbox and they don't want to cut co-op so they're going to have to make it work on both yeah um, i mean would you how would you feel as an xbox fan like i have to wait six months or a year versus every other console yeah. has multiplayer <laughs> yeah. co-op uh except me <laughs> yeah i Which, think it's like, also a case of uh, a lot of people that are just game consumers and not developers don't really know like what hardware power is in consoles and whatnot because there's two very different things multiple but there's often two big things are cpu and gpu which are very different things like gpu is graphical fidelity it's things that typically are not gameplay related and then cpu is often how much power you can actually put into things like ai and more complex behaviors and things that require a lot of background systems are typically... Lots of physics and, like, moving parts and whatnot are put mm -hmm. on the CPU. And sometimes that's where a lot of consoles tend to fall flat a little bit because they, they go for the graphical intensity but not the CPU power, at least in the past. We're kind of at the point now where that no longer is as much of a restriction as it was because we've hit the point where consoles are basically as powerful as computers in a lot of cases, so mm -hmm. it's no longer as much of a concern. But back in, like, the 360 era and whatnot, that's why a lot of games would have, like, less things on screen there wouldn't they would be super complicated um didn't you get the, wasn't there like the opposite problem with the wii and wii u and those aren't like really low gpu but like a weird amount of ram being used or something I wouldn't yeah be something like that. <laughs> it's a nintendo product well, and it's, <laughs> yeah. and it's why and it's why we ran into situations like uh you know going from halo reach and Previous Bungie Halo games where the the AI for the Covenant was was so ahead of its time, and then you get to to Halo Four, and because they're trying to push graphical fidelity over anything else, the the AI really suffered, and and then you yeah. get Halo Five where instead of trying to make better AI, they just put more enemies on screen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because again, yeah. they probably reached an issue where like we have a good looking game here, but we have the Xbox One CPU that probably wasn't given the kind of power that it needed to, so we're just not gonna at launch now. Put <laughs> more, yeah, put more enemies on screen versus trying to improve our our AI again. So, mm -hmm. 
Nobody's going to notice that they just stand and shoot if there's 12 of them. <laughs> and it's probably why, for Halo Infinite, the, the um, you know, enemy AI is probably much better, because the CPU for the for the Xbox series, you know, whatever, was, probably had a lot more attention to it than the Xbox One did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was think I want to I do want to loop this back around to Baldur's Gate for a little bit because I think that's been a should, uh, yeah. a very touch point game for this conversation specifically because it's it's very recent. Um, it's suddenly become the highest rated game of this year above Tears of the Kingdom, which is an accomplishment, like a, a true accomplishment. <laughs> I mean, truly, Baldur's Gate three has gone on my probably going on my like top top favorite games. Period. And how it. And how impressive is that, considering it's part of a genre that's a fairly niche genre, especially compared to something like Zelda? Yes, <laughs> like that's for incredible. Sure. Yeah. I, I, sorry, I don't want to derail and talk about Baldur's Gate too much, but I think that Larian with Divinity and Baldur's Gate really makes that genre approachable to newer players. Fairly, mm. it's not like yeah. some of the other games in the genre. I like CRPGs, but some of them are straight up just like. They did it this way in Fallout 2, and uh, we're going to do it that way now. <laughs> I think it's also a case of, yeah. like, it's how intimidating the real-time CRPGs, CRPGs are compared to turn-based. Because mm. you have a lot to think about in every CRPG. Baldur's Gate 3 has two less party members than most CRPGs. Most CRPGs are six, and it is a turn-based combat system. Most are real-time. So you're not managing six people in real-time combat... And having to juggle things and like pause constantly, and it just looks weird. It doesn't behave smoothly. Like Baldur's Gate Three just feels good all the time because they knew exactly where they had to like make that call of like turn-based. A lot of people are going to be put off by the turn-based thing because they like real-time combat, but those people that like real-time combat probably didn't like real-time CRPGs anyway. So yeah, we're going to do turn yeah, I, I am right there. I usually prefer real-time, but uh, in a CRPG, I like turn-based more. Yeah, I I am the same. I vastly prefer CRPGs to be turn-based because there's so so much more approachable if you have a turn-based system. And yeah, it'll make them take longer, and but to me, uh I find it really bizarre going back to like the old Baldur's Gate 1 and 2, which I do enjoy and I have played some of. I I can't, I have not played all the way through those games, but um those games are really weird because behind the scenes it is turn-based. Yeah. Because they're so there's like rules effects. that are turn-based into real time. Yeah, there's like effects happening, and it's like, okay, every four seconds I'm taking damage or something because of a status effect. Why don't we just have that go on a turn? Like, why why it's have it be of, real time? <laughs> it's the kind of, so it's like real time combat, but is it the kind of game where like you can you can do like a tactical pause? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. that's CRPGs, okay. how they normally work. Okay. The, the issue is often just that like, it becomes, unless you're someone that's like, enjoys RTS games or something and has the familiarity with managing a lot of things at once, it's overwhelming because you have to deal with what resources do I have in combat? What can I cast? What abilities do I have? So most people pause the game all the time, but at that point you're basically making it turn-based. And so just make it turn-based instead where everything works a little Simplify bit smoother. Yeah. And especially you can especially the games that are... Yeah, exactly. Especially games like Baldur's Gate that are D&D rules that are already built for turn-based. Yeah. I remember trying to I remember trying to play Pathfinder uh Wrath of the Righteous and at first I was like, okay, I'm kind of into this. And then once the game opens up and the the real like difficulty and stats hits you in the face, I was like, okay. 
that is also a game that I heavily recommend playing in the turn-based mode and not the real-time yep. mode. <laughs> I really like those games in turn-based mode. Yeah. Except when there's like one spider on screen that I'm like, okay, I can handle this. <laughs> That's what the real-time mode is for. It's nice to have it as an option of like, okay, I just want to get through this without worrying about it. But yeah, yeah the turn-based mode is great. Um, Wrath of the Righteous, phenomenal game. So, yeah, I've, I, the reason I brought up Baldur's Gate 3... What was that, Alex? Kingmaker is pretty pretty good too. Yeah, Kingmaker. Oh, yeah. See, I played Kingmakers before it had turn based, and it was a lot harder. They're, they're doing a third one, aren't they? Uh, they're I doing a Warhammer like, no. game right now. So they're they're oh, coming out with Warhammer Rogue Trader, which is, looks super cool, sci-fi classic CRPG with turn based combat. Love. Am it. I just becoming a CRPG guy? <laughs> I think everyone is. I think that's what Baldur's Gate has done to everyone. Um... But yeah, it, it turns out because CRPGs are not they're not first person games like Skyrim or Elder Elder Scrolls games, they can have the complexity level of those games without needing the visual fidelity of them. And mm-hmm. I think that goes back to our conversation about scope of like they made that's the decision to get all the, the decisions mattering and whatnot and things. Like the reason it's taking Starfield and Elder Scrolls Six so long to come out is because they are pushing bars. Like they are pushing tech to the limit that they possibly can. And it means those games are probably, fingers crossed, going to be good and interesting. But if they fail, that studio, Bethesda, has sunk so much time into them. Um, And in in that time span, Owlbear has, or Owlcat Games, I think it is, that does the uh, Pathfinder games, has managed to release three CRPGs. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's... (laughs) The the part of Baldur Gates 3's launch... Uh, that has affected me most as someone who I, I've 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 been watching a few friends playing it. Uh, but I I if listen if I bought every game this summer that looked good that I wanted to play I we would, would all not be broke. have any money. <laughs> uh, I am trying to trying to be smart and save up and only buy Armored Core, but it's really hard. Um, I'd be planning for the, work on Sundays. Not this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a Starfield boy. <laughs> Starfield's coming to Game Pass. It's coming to Game Pass, so I don't have to worry about that. (laughs) That is true. That is a good point. Yeah. That's the only reason I'm going to play it. I've been pretty oh, much saying, <laughs> um, but uh, I, it, it's like okay, the the majority of the player base is really enjoying it, and a lot of people that haven't been into like not even CRPG D and D or RPGs in general are like really yeah. really enjoying it and getting into it, and it's it's getting a lot of more people into being like, oh hey, maybe this turn based stuff ain't so bad after all, or just like hey, maybe this like scaled back like this game looks really good but it's because of the art direction and not because of the graphical fidelity like they're they're starting to understand it and be like wait i can make a choice in this game and the game will just let me make a wrong choice and there will still be a rest of the game to play that's crazy and (laughs) the the reaction from some people meaning other developers being oh no they're going to start expecting this from us yeah. now. So this That's is what bad. I wanted to loop us to. <laughs> I, I had a feeling. Because that, like... Ha- what, kind of, what kind of cyberpunk dystopia do we have to live in where that is an acceptable thing to, like, outwardly say, like, representing your studio saying? Because that's really screwed up. And I, 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 I don't even play Baldur's Gate 3, and I, someday I probably will, because I have a lot of friends that do, and it's, it's, it's multiplayer, so that there's that benefit as well. Um... 
but like why like you just don't what a what a what a Neil Druckmann thing to say to yeah, just insult so I, another I wanna, game like that. <laughs> I want to so drill strange. into this a little bit because I actually think, first of all, I think a lot of people that have been representing these tweets that have gone out, there have been people that are saying that uh, fully of mm-hmm. like, it's an unrealistic expectation or whatever. But there are also people that are going like, you can't expect this from every game because Larian's in a very unique position. Mm-hmm. Not because of like the amount of dev time they had or something, but because of company culture and the way that that company is structured is so friendly to this type of development and the rest of the games industry isn't there yet like it's it's a reality check for other and like a call for other studios to get better not saying anything negative about like the games industry as a whole but being like hey larian has solved a lot of problems that other studios have not solved yet Mm -hmm. and consumers need to have a realistic expectation that those problems might start to get solved now that what happens when you do solve them has been made very public, but it's probably going to be a while. Uh, I, I think that's a point a lot, that a lot of people are making. And that is a good point that the people that are crying about like, Hey, we can't make good games because Larian is just special. <laughs> I think they're, <laughs> And again, I don't know that I've actually seen anyone with that. I'm sure people on Twitter, knowing Twitter's no, in response, absolutely. Man, yeah. man, I really it, wish I could exit out of my life. Hey. <laughs> it, it, it really uh, reminds me of when, like, uh, when Elden Ring came out, and you had a bunch yeah. of of like AAA developers just being like, "Oh, well, people, people don't care about about user experience because the game's yeah. so hard." It's like talking about <laughs> it's i almost feel like in you. both cases i feel like it's in like, both cases it was something that was like inflated on the internet too you know like a couple absolutely. people complaining and you get a kotaku article about it or something yep yeah like one of them i i remember i forget which uh studio they were a part of but they're like oh yeah people apparently don't care about graphic graphical fidelity either it's like have you I think that was someone who had like formerly been an Ubisoft employee or something. No, it wasn't Ubisoft. It was Guerrilla Games, mm. which uh, makes that uh, even worse. Yeah, I don't because they had this, but... because they had just released Horizon Forbidden West like right before. That's <laughs> 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 like, how, did you did, did you play the game? Did you did you did you, yeah. did, you did you look? At the and that's, game? <laughs> that's that's another thing is even if the actual language that the people are using is more along the lines of like hey like be nice to to the devs like everybody else is still catching up don't don't stop complaining about it you should never stop complaining about other games <laughs> not being a part on par with other things because everybody else should that that's that's their impetus to keep working to catch up like yeah. don't throw out like Blurs or insults that are gonna make people feel horrible or like threats or anything like that, but like keeping like, hey, just saying this one game does this exact thing way better than this other one made by a completely different group of people uh ten years ago. So where are we? And yeah. if we don't have people pointing that out, like, and it's kind of the difference between like critique and definitely, I don't know, yeah, just trolls on the internet. Yeah, and but, and games like this are 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 so important too because it's yeah. like if we don't have games that kind of push beyond the typical like barrier for quality that we expect, we're always going to stay at that same mm-hmm. standard. Yeah, like, I think it's the, just they... a lot of people pushing for quality have misunderstood, I think, where that quality needs to be. 
Definitely, Because, yeah. like, this is, I think if you were to look at this conversation we're having now relative to the conversation we were having 20 minutes ago, we're almost saying the opposite thing because we're praising mm-hmm. Baldur's Gate 3 for doing <laughs> something that, like, Rockstar does readily. Um, but Baldur's Gate 3 had a much more transparent dev process. It was an early access, uh, had that source of funding for the extra dev time, and is in a much different scenario now. And it's also a case of, like, yeah, I don't think Larian could have made this game if it were first person or something because it there would be again this goes back to like the type of game that it is allows you to create a very different experience it's yeah. it's very similar to like people asking like hey why are ARPGs still top down it's because that camera angle allows for a, a very specific feeling and like a very different type of gameplay to most other things like more akin to a twin stick or something so yeah. it's like there's different things for different people like it, not every game has to answer to every person, and I think that's the no. case where, like, Rockstar's and uh, Naughty Dog's dev cycles often end up being very different, is they have to hit everything at such a high-quality level that they are attracting people who are not interested in those genres to begin with. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, Baldur's Gate 3 is doing that through word of mouth because it's a great game. Like, they, <laughs> they're very... Yeah, they put themselves I mean, in a very good position. To, to talk about sort of our original subject, too... I feel like Baldur's Gate 3 uh, kind of takes the advantages of both AAA game development and more indie-style game development. I mean, I think it's been quite a while since Larian could be considered an indie dev, but they're certainly not a AAA studio on the scale of Ubisoft or Activision or yeah. uh, EA or, or Microsoft or whatever. They still have some of that flexibility in the way that they work. Um, and it feels like they have like more of a of a like a human character to them too. Where like even like like I've seen multiple posts of like the patch notes being shared around, and like there's almost like a like a dwarf fortress level U- of like comedy to them. The Eula um, at the beginning of the game has a clause yes. about signing packs with demons. <laughs> yes, I saw that, and it's or, or it's um like right. being comfortable with Lovecraftian entities or something like that is a part of it too. Uh, it's just like that. That's like like I get it at some point, you know, with a certain amount of people and handling a certain amount of money. Like you're you're a business. We get it. Like you know, you gotta run things pragmatically to make sure that things get run well, but. When the companies that run things really pragmatically don't do things super well, it's nice to see a company that appears to be able to do that while also being, like, you you can see the passion and enjoyment that went into the project, like, in, like, every little, like, character interaction, little writing snippet, item description, the Eula of the game, uh, like, just, it, it, it's nice to see a large release have that, like, indie game ish aspect to it um or i i like sometimes uh when like an indie rpg comes out and there's just like little references to everything everywhere or, like references to like past games or just the way that like the characters are written it's very like uh just like a like a jovial silly way of, of writing things that you wouldn't expect from like a big ubisoft rpg or something but now we have you know something like that from like a crazy big team that had a a of money and time to somehow still keep all of that intact to make a like a really just vast indie game pretty much yeah i think it's just a it's a very unique situation that 
the games industry is in right now because I think Baldur's Gate 3 has brought to the forefront this topic and a lot of people are chiming in on it and I think it's just a, a case of like people are going to have different opinions that's fine mm-hmm. um, I think the people a lot of the games industry vets are pretty jaded because they've been <laughs> the amount of things like death threats that game devs deal with is mm-hmm. way out of the normal for your regular mm-hmm. job. Um, and these people are, are dealing with a an unhealthy level of negative criticism that is not like I, negative criticism is too nice. They're dealing with death threats. Like that's yeah, that's what happens. It, it's not actual criticism. It's just I mean. don't know if I missed it. Did you guys ever talk on the podcast about that that legal case that I think some Bungie employee won about getting death threats? Um, I don't think we did, but that was mentioned as like that. some of the reasons that a lot of community managers that move on from studios do it because of this, because like they will get a ton of flame and death threats and whatnot for things that are not their fault. They're not related to are often just like not helpful at all in any way. And that leads to people leaving the industry that are generally really good at their jobs. And so mm-hmm. You get a lot of yeah. the people that are at you're higher positions. Oops, now I'm a target. Yeah, you make yourself visible and you're a target. Uh, a lot of people that, that get past that and go to higher positions have very thick skin because of it. Yeah. And are, I, I think the intent with a lot of these Twitter threads and whatnot, especially from like people like Josh Sawyer that are very well-known industry veterans who are clearly very smart about what they do. Like Josh Sawyer directed Pentiment, which I think is a good example of like why he brought this up because Pentiment is a a game that is like the far other end of the budget spectrum. Like it, it was developed on a very small budget. It was a very small team, uh, relatively tight timelines. And yet it's a really, really excellent game. And that's because they knew their limitations. Like they, they knew exactly what they needed to accomplish and how, how much they needed to get that done. And Baldur's Gate three is like, well, what if we didn't like, what if we, we made a game like Pentiment, but on a budget level that is, so far above it and yeah it's it's fine that Josh Sawyer is bringing that up as like this is not a thing that like don't expect indie RPGs to match something like this like it's no, just yeah. not I'll read his tweet out because I think it's it's worded very well the conditions under which BG3 was made are atypical this is no way a slight against the game or the people working on it It who are clearly passionate and talented having the foundation set and the funding to build things on your own terms is invaluable and I think that's really what it's getting at of like yeah. A lot of studios don't have that ability. Of like, not studios, but devs. Or you don't have the ability to build funds and have a platform in a way that makes sense. Or maybe you do, and you become Star Citizen. Like, there's another it's, side yeah, of the coin exactly. that you can fall on in that scenario. Like, you still need uh, things like production and yeah. the executives to lead that. But you don't. There's a very fine line to walk with all of this. Well, it, it Is... comes back. It comes back. To, oh, sorry. <laughs> No, I was just gonna say his his uh the way the way he words it seems a lot less like uh, any sort of dig at Baldur's Gate or like any yeah. like one specific dev and more just like a sarcastic like well this is how the rest of the industry is right now unfortunately <laughs> and they're just like a step ahead in terms of being able to have such a fleshed out game experience without and I would say that's how most of this it. like feedback for BG3 is, is it's, it's not actually aimed at BG3 it's aimed at the games industry for not being ready to move towards that it's yeah. it's the difference between explaining it and trying to justify how things are yeah right 
Yeah, um, I also think and, it's, a, it's and, just a different situation from the Elden Ring stuff way back when, because that those were some nonsensical takes. That, yeah, that <laughs> the was Elden Ring stuff was <laughs> a, a lot of. <laughs> I think there's also an attitude, and this is a whole other podcast topic of every game needs to be for everyone. Yes, I think one day almost we'll everyone knows that that isn't the case. <laughs> like you can't, you can attempt to make a game for everyone, but that in and of itself is going to ostracize groups of people that want something that's a little bit more hardcore which is fine mm-hmm. because maybe you are making a more casual game maybe you're making animal crossing and you want it to to appeal to as many people as possible and like i'm normally a pretty hardcore gamer i loved animal crossing i'm not still playing it but that's fine like they got the money out of me i had a great time i, mean, I don't feel like I, I was cheated at all but i think a lot of people will take that attitude of everything needs to be hardcore into every game they play yeah and you gotta like yeah. Things are designed for different types of people. You don't, if you don't like Armored Core, you don't need to play Armored Core Six. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's what, in, in my mind, I'm not, I'm not the Blizzard developer here, but in my mind, that's what Blizzard has done so well throughout their entire career is taking a genre and then streamlining things in a really smart way to make it super uh, accessible. It's, it's one thing that they do very, very well, in my opinion. Again, reiterating, opinions are my own. <laughs> and are not reflective of anyone else at Blizzard. Um, but yeah, I, I think that is what a lot of great AAA studios do. is They, they take formulas that either they themselves or other studios have created. Like That was the era of like the golden age of CRPGs where everyone was creating Baldur's Gate clones and iterating on that <laughs> formula. And games came, kept coming out that were really good because they were all working off of the same idea that at the time was like a really good concept. So they just kept going with it. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it became a really good thing. It's like the golden age of what I would say first person shooters back in the era of like Black Ops and Battlefield 3 and 4. And like every yeah. shooter that was coming out tended to be very good because they were all kind of taking things from each other and making each other game better. It's, it's why there's often a saying in, in game design that like great designers steal. <laughs> it's a case of <laughs> you, you want to, it's said lovingly. Like, yeah, it's an invitation to be like, hey, yeah, we're if we see another game do a cool thing, no, maybe we can take some inspiration from that. <laughs> you can't talk about Destiny. How dare you talk about Destiny? <laughs> or, our, or you could be like Nintendo and just patent everything, so nobody can ever steal the things that you stole from other games ever again. <laughs> Or uh, your uh, or your respawn entertainment, where you just take a little bit from every single popular genre and just Frankenstein that crap together, yeah. and you, you normally turn out with something great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> somehow it works for him. Every yeah, time, it's incredible. Every time, <laughs> they know how to find the balance. And that they... actually, that that is that. Uh, I forgot that I was I was going to say this earlier. We ended up moving on to other other more pertinent things to talk about but um with because now now nintendo's been brought up and another thing that i want to say they were good at is not only are they okay with delaying games until they're properly like finished and stuff like you said why but they're also like totally fine with like we'll hold on to fire emblem and gauge for like an extra year until there's a space for it to come out where it won't get overshadowed by other things and it respawn 
Oh boy, <laughs> Titanfall 2, you know exactly where this Respawn is going. Respawn Guerrilla Games really have... Yeah. I would they argue just, like, it's that that wasn't Respawn's fault. To be, no, it wasn't to be Respawn's fair. fault, but I'm just saying they were like just purely a, a victim of... Uh, just straight up just a victim of EA, of just double booking, and like... It was it, it so sucks. avoidable. It's so avoidable, and like, uh, or, like a... a, a horizon coming out like right at the same time as breath of the wild and then elden ring and then the devs are like well why aren't why why are don't we have as many players as we thought we would it's like well because you just placed yourself like it right would be next fine to if they were releasing games. next to like i don't know a big first person shooter or something but instead yeah, they decided to yeah. release next to the other biggest open world games of the years yeah, and, and, and i feel like because they're, they're such solid open world games in exactly their own, right? And it's they, like it's they, just, they keep getting screwed. They just keep <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> things that are like genre defining masterpieces. <laughs> Talking and, about Baldur's Gate 3 again, I'm pretty sure that's why they moved the game up. Yes. First off, I think, they had yeah. the, I think that, you know, they had spent so long in early access, they decided they had the luxury to be like, hey, we can we can actually make this date. But mm. also like, hey, we got to move this away from, uh, what was it going to release like a week before? It was going to release on Armored the day Core? that Starfield came out. Good luck. Okay. Good luck <laughs> on God's day to you. <laughs> I, think, I believe yeah, no. it still is on PlayStation. <laughs> and on the day that Starfield and, comes out. Um, with Starfield, that as well, though there are very different games gameplay wise, are both appealing to a similar demographic. The classic RPG, yeah, sort of RPGs branching. Yep. Choice, you know, decisions. I would say that that Venn diagram is nearly a circle. Aside from like the people playing Starfield because it's sci-fi, the people that follow Bethesda games and people that NASA follow Punk. Larian games are probably pretty similar. Mm -hmm. And that's a that like this whole like where do you put your release date thing like to a degree that affects indie games also, but like you're already indie you probably unless you like are partnered with some kind of publisher that's going to do that and handle that for you and just expect like a cut of the funds when the game comes out you don't have an advertising budget uh like also unless you have like a demo that like re uh, reviews really well um and so you get like word of mouth working on your side like you do you any day of the year is just about the the best day you could release an indie game most of the time unless you're <laughs> releasing a breath of the wild clone on the day tears of the kingdom comes out uh <laughs> yeah, but like unless you're you really just... in a, a bind in terms it's of yeah like and, you, and you it... can kind of work with whatever and it, it, it you can uh, okay well the the game is the game is probably going to be finished by this part of the year so we're just going to say this month and then when it gets closer this day awesome now it's out where as the people that in some cases it feels like the people who have control over the day that a game comes out like almost want to actively sabotage everybody else who worked <laughs> on it where they just put it in like the worst spot or like uh it's it's a, a publisher who wants it out like too early where like even just like the next month a patch will come out that will fix the issues that you know wouldn't have been there if they just released it a month later or something like that and it's like, I feel it, like we it's see a very that one a lot exactly yeah and it just feels like that's a very like we are we are behold we the people who are making the game are beholden to the whims of the people that have never played a video game in their life and they're just going to see the money from it so they just want the money as soon as possible and as long as the game is playable when it comes out enough people are going to buy it to where they get the money uh and that's like that that is another one of those non-direct like budget things where like 
that's just a AAA thing. AAA has that expectation where the devs are part of, you know, different levels of higher-ups of higher-ups of higher-ups, and then people who plan and, and company owners uh, communicate with the producers and stuff to get it down to all the, the, the poor little uh, code monkeys and art goblins and the, the labs at four in the morning working on their uh, their wooden door textures. Uh, it's, or their it's cloth physics. Strange. Or their cloth, yeah, or their mattress <laughs> uh, physics. Um, where it, it's like... sheet deformation. Yeah. Where it's ah. like, I feel like that's... It's almost like a, a, a... Like, that's around and just nobody's really talked about it because that's just what AAA has become now. I feel like you could go back to like some ye old early 2000s time or whatever and like <laughs> i mean this is also because you can't patch a ps2 game uh a game just came out and well there it is whereas <laughs> these days it's like well we can have leeway i i i have now been uh you know the owner of ea or whatever for uh 20 years and i i do not know what a video game is, but I, I've been in this position just uh, being lackadaisical for so long that I'm going to continue doing exactly that and giving the worst release dates for everything possible because I could not possibly care less. And that's just uh, this is the day where the money will come in. It, it feels us, more like because for us, yeah. tri like triple uh, uh, A games are for us just in a constant state of early access. Anyway, we just don't have the label there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it's it, it feels like AAA nowadays is more beholden to, and this is like like, you know, focusing on the the negative stuff. Obviously, this is this doesn't mean anything when it comes to like Baldur's Gate or like Elden Ring or something like that. Uh, oh yeah, for it, every it, bad it, example, there's a good example, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, I think for, that's gonna that applies for, to a lot of this discussion of definitely everything definitely. we're saying is not applying to everyone. It's applying to the studios that it's relevant to. Like, yeah. Uh, but for for the, the the negatively relevant studios and situations, it does genuinely feel like a lot of the time it's just like a this is how everybody in the company will get the paycheck, and so this is when the game will release. This is why we developed it this way, and it might be a purposefully serviceable or even really good game. But then on the other side, like you have people who are like, yeah, I, I you know I. I uh, worked on uh, this part of the game uh, all by myself in between uh, the morning shift at the uh, the post office and the, the graveyard shift at <laughs> the, the uh, gas station or whatever. And, and between that, I was able to just make enough rent to have a place to uh, program this. And now it's, it's a, it's a, I, I, I didn't make this because I needed money. I, I was, needing money because i was making this uh and yeah. it's 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 complete you can feel it when you end up uh playing the game as a consumer uh even if you don't necessarily know that that's what you're feeling feel like it's it's another kind of passion thing where you can feel the passion behind something uh without it you know resonating that that's what that is at, at first it's very well put all right any other thoughts or is that a good note to end on for people? We've run our, our almost a full two hours on this, so I'm sure we will revisit a lot of this conversation because uh, next 
week is going to be our Game Pass Games Club episode. The month after that, instead of doing a Game Pass Games Club, we're going to do an episode on uh, Starfield and Armored Core and a couple other games coming out and kind of treat that as that Game Pass for that month because I think all of us are going to be playing Starfield a good amount. And then we'll do something for Armored Core as well because Brett and I are going to lose our minds as soon as that (laughs) game comes out. I'll be on the Starfield podcast if I even get a chance to play it because I might be too busy playing something else. It, yeah, it's with this be current a, a uh, game, game Pass, there's a couple of games I still need to play more or play at all. I'm like, ah, oh, but Baldur's Gate 3, I could be playing Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> Baldur's Gate 3, but again. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm over here like, I'm like, okay, here, I downloaded Ninja Gaiden. Like I was doing that, well, it's installed now. Why didn't I have a great time with Sea of Thieves? So I was, I was pretty happy to, to get the chance to play that unburdened from the need to play Baldur's Gate for a little bit. Yeah, I'm playing Baldur's I'll, Gate every other waking hour. So, I'm I'm glad I could help. I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> you and your disinterest in CRPGs, <laughs> I could play something else for a little I while. I want to like them so bad. I just I every every atom in my entire being is was just not designed to play CRPGs. But I want to like them so bad. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Well, on that note, we're gonna move into shoutouts. Then, who's got something they want to shout out? Shout out to that awesome pirate crew that Ryan and I ran into earlier today. Those were the coolest dudes. They were just doing their own thing, and they're like, hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? And then we all started playing uh, a song together on our various instruments and got us an achievement. And it was probably the most wholesome encounter I've ever had in Sea of Thieves. Nine times out of ten, you come across a player in Sea of Thieves, and it's like cannons lit immediately not even a question (laughs) not even a conversation there was no choice other than these guys are going to be tasting the bottom of the sea so it was just cool to run into some like real wholesome lads and just like it felt felt so good hanging out and having a good time yeah all right you two who's ready i uh, will shout out uh because i haven't yet um, I will shout out the movie Oppenheimer. Uh, wow, crazy! It's a good movie, and nobody saw that coming. Uh, but Christopher Nolan does it again, and makes me feel emotions that I would be more comfortable not uh, <laughs> in a, in a three-hour time frame that somehow uh, felt like forty-five minutes. Uh, I this. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it it's it does what a commentary on uh nuclear things uh it, it does that the same way that a uh, Metal Gear Solid. I would did not have been surprised if out. at the start of the credits it said a Hideo Kojima production. It's yes, very very much so. <laughs> You'd have to get um, that at the opening of the film. Yeah, yeah. and at the end, <laughs> and at and the like end, like in an intermission. Yeah, yeah, like every chapter, every new scene, has to yeah. you, like which characters are in the scene and who's playing. The- <laughs> the exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying but, to sneak past the guards. <laughs> yeah, especially if you have never thought about the the grave consequences of uh, the nuclear bomb being developed and just cannot possibly grasp that. I really hope you walk into Oppenheimer thinking that it's just going to be some crazy war movie or something <laughs> and that your life is forever destroyed <laughs> because now you will know. <laughs> no, don't don't give them that because then they'll get bored and hate it unjustly. <laughs> like I've seen Oppenheimer <laughs> twice now. I went to see it regularly really? once and then I went to go see the 70mm version because oh the tickets for the 70mm have been sold out for weeks. 
Like, you have to order them weeks in advance. So I got tickets for, like, when the movie came out for the 70mm two weeks later. Great man. Very worth seeing in 70mm if you have the opportunity. Um, All right, I'll take the next shout-out. I've got a a, a shout-out to an indie game that I played through uh, yesterday, which is Stray Gods. Um, For those of you that have heard of it or haven't heard of it, Stray Gods is built as the role-playing musical. It is a game by indie studio, let me find their name, uh, Summerfall Studios, that is a basically a musical. So as you're playing, you make a bunch of choices, and that determines like the music style and all the musical scenes. And you're trying to uncover a murder mystery as you go through it. And it's very fun, uh, relatively short for a single playthrough, but that I think is as expected for something that's meant to be pretty replayable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was very satisfying, very fun to go through. I've finished it near twice because there was a bug on day one where if you made a save and save file one and you quit the game and came back it would delete itself no <laughs> which is a pretty big bug that has since been fixed very quickly um but i nearly played it all through in one day and then was like i need to go to sleep so i can go to work the next day and <laughs> quit out at the end of the second act and then lost all that progress the oh, next day. But I think it's te- it's a testament to the game that I then immediately replayed all of that and then got to the ending in two sittings. So, yeah, very good. Uh, phenomenal job for all the voice actors that were in it because it's a musical thing that's very hard to do. And I was impressed that a lot of voice actors could sing better than I thought they would, though I mm-hmm. do still think this game probably would have been suited to getting musical theater performers <laughs> for a lot of the roles. But it was still sense. very good. Budget. Alex, what's your shout out? Okay. Uh, well, after Oppenheimer, I should shout out Barbie, uh, which yes. was good. But <laughs> I need to see. I'm it. not going to. Um, I'm gonna just shout out the used bookstore that's by me that my partner and my roommate work at uh, because somebody they bought in like a big, uh, big sale. Uh, somebody sold a bunch of old uh, RPG books. Not not old, but used RPG books, and uh, I spent quite a bit of money, uh, but it was quite a bit of money that I also saved if I had bought those books. I was going to say. I bought, I bought straight up around. six RPG books today, and, nice. and seasons one through three of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like the lead up to that. Just leaving us in suspense. Well, I didn't remember what I got. It had a sticky note on the cover. <laughs> awesome. I was like, it's season something of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I see. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to go ahead and end the episode. As always, Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m. Eastern or Pacific time now on the podcast platform of your choice. YouTube, and Twitch. See you next time.